Welcome to Spin It, where the worst of times can become the best of times. I'm your host, Stephanie Malik, an award-winning crisis management expert and business consulting strategist. Along with my team of experts at S. Malik Enterprises, I have worked with thousands of high-wealth individuals and businesses over the last 25 years to create customized approaches for crisis management and business consulting to ensure they take their careers, relationships, and companies to the next level. On Spin It, we pursue purpose and passion, aspiring to uncover the true story behind every guest's successes and failures, removing the mistake behind what it takes to be truly successful from those that have actually done it. I'm chatting with executives and entrepreneurs all over the globe to understand how they turned obstacles into opportunities to grow not only themselves, but their businesses. I want to impact and inspire you and as many people as possible, not by blurting out the same old motivational phrases, but with the truth and authenticity behind real success, along with the roadmaps and methodologies it takes to get there. Whether it was a scandal, a broken business model, or simply navigating the noise, we want you to learn from our mistakes. It's all in how you spin it. Today, I'll be speaking with entrepreneur, author, world record-holding public speaker, and podcast host, Rob Moore. After Rob struggled through a tough childhood and watched his father's arrest, he accumulated 50,000 pounds in consumer debt by the time he was 25 years old. As a fledgling artist, he was an anti-capitalist. He rebelled against his family until he turned his life around by attending a property networking event. Rob and I are going to dive deep into the events that created the person who he became and explore the dimensions of what makes Rob a top entrepreneur. Let's go. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is so, so exciting. So I'm going to tell you a little story before we start. I had no idea who you were. And my team was very demanding of me to get on Clubhouse. And I said, awesome. It's like another thing that I need to do is to get on Clubhouse. So I got on Clubhouse and I was like, this is atrocious. <laughs> like, I couldn't even think. And so they were going through the channels, going through the channels. And all of a sudden I heard you speak. And I heard you go, nope, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's ridiculous. That's wrong. And I was like, wait, stop. Don't anybody do anything. And I listened, and I'll tell you, the very first thing that you said was something that I have always very, very much lived by, which I used to call it go, get, give, and yours was do, ditch, delegate. Can you tell me where you came up with this? Well, I'm not the only person on the planet that's taken those Ds, you know, and uh, do, delay, delegate, delete, ditch, drop. Um, You could probably come up with quite a few Ds. But, you know, I wrote a book called Life Leverage, and that's to help people outsource and leverage more and know the real value of what you do and the value of your time and know your key result areas and your income-generating tasks and understand what it is that you should be doing. And I think that the way that you do that is you create a clear and meaningful vision for your life, and mine is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get better financial knowledge. And then when you have this very clear vision, which is scientifically and neurologically proven to reduce your stress levels, um, then you cascade down your key result areas and your income generating tasks from there. So if partnerships and clubhouse rooms and collaborations and joint ventures and podcast guesting and public speeches all get you closer towards your ultimate vision and mission it's probably a good use of your time and you should probably do it um if it's something that's good to do but maybe you're too busy right now or it's not the highest priority maybe you should delay it if it's something that someone else could do maybe you should delegate it you know in the future when i have a 3d printed version of myself which looks just like me and talks like me i can delegate all these podcast interviews that i do until then i have to do those myself and then some things you just need to you know delete completely whether that's um people crossing your boundaries or other people's emergencies or things that are urgent but not important these things need to be deleted And really, the reality of the most successful people alive in any endeavor is how they manage their time. So time management, it it should be focused on more, to be honest. You know, I ask myself at least 35, 40 times a day, is this the best use of my time? 
Is this the best use of my time? Is this the best use of my time? Um, and if you ask that enough and you answer it correctly more often than you don't, you're going to be a force. But you need to put that force into a direction, which is why you need a meaningful mission. Agree. Agree. I love that. I love that. I see often your daily Robisms on Twitter. We're going to get super deep in this interview and it's going to get kind of serious. Can you give us something motivational to start with? Well, I always end all of my content, all of my videos, all of my TikToks and reels and lives and podcasts and everything with, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. So I could go really deep on what that means. On a superficial level, if you don't take risks, you don't get rewards. Risk and reward are intrinsically linked. But on a deeper level, I believe that all the greatness in your life is when you face up to your fears and you embrace the courage to be disliked and you embrace that no matter what you do, people will hate about you. They'll hate about you the things that are great about you. So just that one phrase, which is my quote, I even think we might have a trademark on it. I think there's a lot to that. And I think that some of our most bold and courageous moves are often our greatest moves in life. And I think often we, I see this a lot with people, they won't make a decision because they're worried about the consequences, even though they know in their heart or in their intuition that that decision is right. So clearly there is fear of consequences. And imagine if there was no fear of consequences, what job might you leave? What business might you start? What partner might you go for? What partner might you leave? What might you do with your life? What country might you travel to if you didn't fear the downside consequences? Now, of course, we need downside consequences to keep us safe. So I'm not saying be flippant or take overt risks, but I don't know if that's motivational and I don't know if it's deep, but I think there's a lot in the risk reward. And I've made some bold moves in the last few months, moves that I don't know, maybe I wouldn't say I wouldn't have the courage to have done before. But, you know, I, I think it's important to really know what you stand for, even if the decision you know there's going to be fallout and you know there's going to be consequences. If it's the right decision, it's the right decision. And that's if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. So so I love that. It, and another one of the things that I have always taken very seriously, I've talked to my kids about, it, I've talked to early mentors. If you don't stand for anything, you stand for nothing at all. You know, people are very wishy-washy. They kind of go back and forth and they're like, oh, you know, go with the flow and don't want to really upset anybody. And as I was looking through the research and I was, I was doing my best to get to know you, I was noticing we had a lot of similarities. And one of the things I wanted to talk about for our audience is 50,000 pounds in debt by 25. How? how? How is that possible? What were you purchasing? What made you make that purchase? And then tell me what you were feeling when you were going through making these purchases. It didn't happen overnight. I think a lot of people could probably relate that five years, 10 years, 20 years, just a little bit of bad money management. You know, you spend a few hundred pounds a month more than you earn and that compounds over many years. So I probably racked it up from age 18 to 25, going to university, having to pay for university, pay for my accommodation, you know, going out and drinking a bit too much and having a bit too much fun and coming back um, home and then getting a car loan for a car, you know, because back then in sort of mid 2000s, you could get a loan for anything. <laughs> And it was just a few bad money decisions over maybe six or seven years. And it sort of builds up. And then you get a credit card to pay off a credit card to pay off a credit card to pay off a credit card, but the interest free runs out. So it just crept up on me, really, because of poor money management. It wasn't one bad decision and it took time. But I think going back to my quote, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. I really believe this. This is something I want to stress to everyone watching and listening. Complacency is the enemy. I really believe it. Complacency is the enemy. There's a book called Ego is the Enemy. Ego is not the enemy. Ego can be quite a powerful force. It can obviously be a destructive force, but it can be a powerful force. But complacency is the enemy of everything. Taking things for granted, letting things go, not challenging yourself, not growing, being too comfortable, too cocky, flippant, uh, just complacency is the enemy. It's just the enemy. And, you, you know, Warren Buffett said in all of his research over decades of all these companies, the one thing in common that ruined companies is complacency. Yeah, absolutely. 
everybody thinks that they're on the upward trajectory and so they just sit and they do nothing and then all of a sudden everything blows up and they they have no idea what happened and when you really do the research about it and you're really focusing greatly on it everybody sat back and they you know they looked at their achievements that were a year ago and they're still looking at them right now and it's just it's it absolutely is is crushing for revenue and for also morale within the company mark my words take nothing for granted Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Were you always like this? Like talk to me about your life. Talk to me about your family. How were you? What you mean really good looking and charming. You're like, you're like super hot. Yes, Crocky. actually Stephanie I was. <laughs> you're you like, you know that book Ego, right? <laughs> I was actually yeah, featured. So is this how you were always growing up? Like, is this, is tell me about your family. Tell me about your friends. Tell me about school. Is school easy for you? Like, talk to me about how you were growing up. Well, when you say I was always like this, I don't know what you mean by this. Well, you're pretty, you're, so you're pretty serious. You're pretty focused. You're pretty like, hey, don't be complacent. And this is what that means. And you, and you're, you're very driven. I mean, you are the entrepreneur of entrepreneurs. People say that word very flip right now. Anybody can be an entrepreneur, but is that really the case? And were you always like this from a younger age? Did you have parents that were like modeling for you? Like, tell me about your childhood and growing up. Wow. There's a, there's a <laughs> lot of questions in there. <laughs> um, Go. <laughs> can anyone be an entrepreneur? Yeah. Can different personality types be an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, do you have to have an appetite for risk or calculated risk to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. Will everyone being entre an entrepreneur? No. For me, my dad was hardcore entrepreneur, started loads of businesses, just always went all in on everything, everything all in. And, you know, really didn't really teach me to be an entrepreneur, showed me to be an entrepreneur, which I think is a good way to do it. Because, you know, when kids don't listen to their parents, when you tell them what to do, they just, they just don't. I mean, Bobby's favorite word is no, but you show them. And dad showed me by being a hardcore entrepreneur, pubs, clubs, bars, hotels, restaurants, hustling, you know, always negotiating, always haggling, always doing a deal. Loved a bit of that, the graft. So from, and I'm talking like four, five, six, seven, eight years old, I was working in his pub from age six. I could like, someone gave me a load of numbers today and I just calculated all the, all the maths and it was like whoa I didn't know you could do maths that quick I could do the maths that quick at six because my dad was teaching me how to add up and put the numbers into the because back then what we used to call it a till I think you probably call it a cashier um, and I put all the numbers in he'd tell me to work out how you know the, the maths quick and I'd take money off the customers at age six and I'd replenish all the bottles on the shelves and in the fridges from the night before and I loved it and I just wanted to be like my dad so my dad gives zero f**ks about anything or anyone. And I've never met anyone who gives less f**ks than my dad. And that for me, I, don't, it's, I admire that about him. I mean, it's too much sometimes and he is just so rude <laughs> and he just doesn't care. But, you know, people who are people pleasers or who have anxiety or worry about what other people think about them, you know, they can learn from that. And I was the opposite. I was a people pleaser and non hated conflict, non-confrontational, would avoid conflict at all times. Problem with that is you end up taking all the conflict inside because if you can't express it, you'll repress it. So I repressed it growing up because that wasn't me. And then school, university, just lost my way a bit. It lost that sort of entrepreneurial fire, I suppose, the school system, go to uni, get a job after that. You know, it's not really me. But I didn't, no one was really showing me the way. And then on December the 15th, 2005, my dad had a massive nervous breakdown in his pub. He got beaten up by the police in front of all the customers. He got sectioned. My mum and my sister were out on the front lawn watching it happen, bawling their eyes out. He was, they were wrestling him, smashing him with batons. And it's a pretty horrific experience, to be honest. And that was the, the first, our first experience of my dad's bipolar. This was 15 years ago. So that, was a big moment in my life where I took a hard, long look at myself and hated myself for, I don't know, sometimes I still feel a bit like that now. Am I doing enough? Could I be doing more? Maybe some of that's still there, but I, I don't hate myself like I did then because I've turned things around. You know, we've got 1,200 units in our property portfolio that we own, co-owner kind of manage. I've written 18 books. I've got 700 episodes in my podcast. We've made hundreds of millions. You know, I could, the, the list of things that we've done. So I, 
I can't hate myself for that, but there's always more need. I need more. I want to prove to my dad that, you know, I'm useful and valuable and recognizable. The other thing was when I was nine or 10, maybe eight, nine, 10, I was the fattest kid in my year at school. And when you're the second fattest kid, no one takes the piss out of you because everyone takes the piss. Um, it's an English phrase for um, no one takes the piss out of the second fattest kid. They always take the piss out of the fattest kid. And that was me. And I fucking hated it. I hated every minute of it. And I felt ostracized, alone. All my emotions would store up inside me. I felt vulnerable. I felt like an outsider, that I wasn't noticed, that I wasn't respected or liked for who I am. And I built these layers of pain and defensiveness and protection and and I lost all, I, I built up so much pain that on one summer holidays, I lost all the weight. I just drank about seven or eight cans of Diet Coke a day when it came out and I ate no food. And I lost three stone in, a, in what, maybe eight or nine weeks, I guess. And I lost all the weight. It's just all gone. And all of a sudden, you know, people would talk to me normally. They'd involve me in stuff. I wouldn't get picked last at sport. People were interested in me. Even girls were interested in me, which is not something I was kind of used to. But the fat kid who didn't want any conflict who want to be wanted to be noticed and loved and accepted was that hadn't gone with the weight that I lost so these are the these are the two big things growing up in my life that have probably defined me um, and there's a lot of pain attached to it but that's also been a lot of my drive so I've got some shit going on right now we've all got shit going on but that drive comes from wanting to be a useful, successful person, to prove some people wrong, to prove that I'm valuable. So it gives me an inner drive to deal with problems and face my fears and face the big challenges I've got going on and make strong, bold, brave decisions, which I think you have to face strong, bold, brave decisions every single day. And if you're not, you're, you're nowhere near pushing enough. So I'm probably still carrying some baggage around all that. Ironically, that was like 30 <laughs> odd years ago. But, um, you know, voids create values and voids are a driving force as well. So it's probably what's good about me as well. So I'm I'm a thousand percent off script now because I'm so focused on you and, and what the story is with your dad. I too had a bipolar mom. My mom didn't take any medication. She's since passed. Um, it was it was tough growing up that way. She taught me a lot of things. I always say um, when you're growing up, you have an example of somebody you want to emulate very closely or you have an example of somebody you don't want to be anything like, but no matter what, that person's an example. So when I hear your story and I, I can't imagine how crushing that must have been for you to not only witness it, but then witness your mom and your sister going through it, crushing. When you look back at those times and, and, and the debt and, you know, you being heavy and all of these different things. Do you have, like, when you're looking back, do you have empathy for that child or for that kid or for that adolescent? Or do you have more tenacity and drive going, I wish I would have done things differently, faster, quicker? How, how, how do you feel when you look back at that story? I love the way you said heavy instead of fat. That's very elegant. <laughs> so after, I've read thousands of books, done so much personal development and had therapy. And I think it all has its place. Uh, and my therapist said to me, you need to learn to love the young boy in you. And she always say it. And she was always so pleased when she'd see the little boy come out. I haven't fully got my head around that yet. Now, I, I, I really hate some things about me when I was young. No, hate's the wrong word. Shame. Feel shame for some of the things I felt and some of the things I did to get attention. But every human being needs love and needs to be noticed. And I don't hate that about me, that I needed that. I just, I, yeah, I, should, I probably should give the younger kid in me a bit, bit more of a break. But it's also a drive for me. There's still, I've got so much to prove and so much to do. Yeah, I really believe life is really short. You know, I'm 42, taking it for granted, but I'll be 72 one day and I'll be 92 one day and then I'll be gone. And life is life's like really long and really short at the same time. It's like this paradox whereby if you sat in a room on your own, it'd feel like life is an eternity. But if you lived a full, meaningful, exciting, fucking risky, you know, go for it, go getting life, it'll be over in a flash. So 
you know, that's a real driver for me to be bold and be brave. And, you know, every day I feel scared, scared of facing that younger, lonely, you know, because now for me, rejection can still make me feel like I was nine years old again. Failure can make me feel like I'm nine years old again. And, you know, that shame and, and stuff like that can be evoked because there's baggage there so and people don't know that when they say and do things to you and I don't I, you know I don't excuse me just to let you know you've upset the nine-year-old boy in me so you know <laughs> but just back off there you know it's like, exactly you, give you, me you, a minute can I just yeah, have a little conversation I mean, I know we're, all up, we're all up for being vulnerable and everything <laughs> right but, you know that dialogue's not going to go down well in a negotiation or something like that so you just have to deal with it and own it but you know I, I, I try every day to get uncomfortable to not be complacent, to be brave and bold and make brave and bold decisions and face some demons and own the day. Every day, I want to own the day. If you're feeling shit, get your ass down the gym, smash out some work, get some work done early, eat the frog, do hard shit. You know, easy now, hard later. Hard now, easy later. So every day, try and own the day. But, you know, puff your chest out and own the, own the day because you only live day by day. So you think that your mentality and your drive, okay, you think that that's teachable? Yeah. Do you think that you can actually, you do. So you think you can teach a 24 or 25-year-old to come into your office and have this type of mentality? Yeah. Tell me how. Well, I suppose number one is you've got to find out what you want to do with your life. Because, you know, me trying to teach these traits, because they're human traits, by the way. I, I didn't design them. They're not my IP. You know, grit and resilience and facing your fears and bravery and boldness and courage and honesty and picking hard things first and prioritizing your time. These are just all any human can do this. And in any subject in your life, you'll face all those demons about starting a podcast or going, you know, to lose some weight or getting into martial arts for the first time. Going on dates, you, you know, you're in all of these areas of your life. All of these emotions will come out because we all have fears. We all need to stay safe. And, you know, we've got this reptilian brain that's very basic and primal in the way that it protects us by injecting us with cortisol and fear to keep us safe. But the problem is it's not contextualized. So, of course, it's teachable because it's already in every human being. So I don't have to teach a 24-year-old or a 44-year-old or an 84-year-old how to face their fears and stuff like that. They just have to have a bigger meaning. You know, I was thinking about this earlier. I went for a walk, Stefan, I was thinking about this. When your mission and your vision and the purpose of your life is so big and you've got such meaningful, important work to do, it transcends bitching, moaning, complaining, whining, defending, justifying, fears, doubts, concerns, procrastination, thinking about yada, yada, all of that stuff just diminished. And when you see people bitching and moaning and trolling and hating and stuff on social media, they're not busy enough and they haven't got a big enough meaningful mission. Because if you had a big enough meaningful mission, you've only got 55 years left. Get the f on with it. And so really, the first step, Steph, is to tap into what that is for the 24-year-old or the 44-year-old. And then, you know, get them linking that mission and vision to all the decisions that they make. Because if you if you link doing something hard to something bigger than you, you're going to do it. It always has to be bigger than you. Yeah, it yeah. has to be bigger than you. If it's not bigger than you, why are you doing it? It doesn't make any sense. So if you met a 23 to 26 to 28-year-old, somebody around there, okay, what would you tell them? What would be the number one thing? the number one thing that you would tell them to never, ever do? It's a cross between never let someone who doesn't have your best interests tell you what to do with your life and never let the critics, the trolls, the haters, the doubters, never let them derail you from your mission. I would say... They're similar, but they're different. They would be the two things. And I'd say that to a 64-year-old or an 84-year-old because everyone's got an opinion. And that doesn't mean they're right. And it doesn't mean it's right for you. And when you put yourself out there and you know, you're, you're, you're beyond, you're entrepreneurial. You take risks in the hope of profit and you put your work out to the world and you do your Facebook lives and you do your content and you build a personal brand. 
there's going to be all sorts of people who've got an opinion, which they don't know you. They're inaccurate. They probably haven't had sex for 35 years. Otherwise, why would they be a professional troller? They'd actually be having fun with their life. They're clearly so tensed up. Just go and get laid, relax. If everyone had sex more, then the world would be a better place, I think. That'll be your next book. That's yeah. your next book, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do the forwards. More by Rob Moore. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's a great title already picked out. I like that forward thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's so many distractions in the world and someone else's opinion of you doesn't define you. But in order for someone else's opinion of you not to define you, you need to know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, you'll seek the opinions of other people to find out who you are. Well, I, I think that getting comfortable in your own skin and being comfortable being incredibly uncomfortable. When I was reading that you celebrate the one-star reviews in your book, I literally was like, I think that that's amazing. I mean, I think that that is like, you just know exactly who you are and your book's not for everyone. You know, people often ask me to be a podcast guest and I, I, I like cringe and I was like, can I know the audience? Cause I'm not like really very fluffy. And I was a business consultant, a global business consultant for many, many years. I ran consulting firms. I was a part of 11 global startups, et cetera, et cetera. I got nicknamed the dream killer because I would go into an investment meeting and I was like, it's not going to work. It's not niche down. The, the gap isn't addressed. And people would just be like, you could have said it in so many different ways. And I was like, yes, but then I have another meeting. So I love that you take this and you're like, I celebrate that. I'm not for everyone. And this is who I'm for. Also too, all of the good that you're doing, I took a little bit of time yesterday. I was just scrolling through your Instagram and it's more than passion. It, it's inspiration. It's humility. It's depth. It's fascinating to watch because you're so personable with older ones, with younger ones, and you you don't give canned answers, Rob. You really think about the question and you really kind of take a step back. And I love that about you, especially where you are in your life, where you could really just give canned answers or give media sheets and go, these are the questions I would answer. I love how in-depth that you get. And so I really wanted to tell you how much I appreciate that. Thank you. That's very kind. Um I just want to say one thing on what you said there, because I've thought about this a lot recently and people talk a lot about what a brand is. I think clarity of brand is, are you clear on who you want to piss off? And most people won't teach you that, but I'm just going through a change of my brand. It's very hot off the press. So you, you might be one of the Tell first me, ones. I want to know everything. Well, I'm <laughs> focusing a lot more on money related content. Because my money-related content, my money book, my money podcast, all my money-related content has been my most successful. And I'm not really niched down because I don't like to be restricted. But we're going to focus hardcore on, on more money-related content because it just seems to go more viral. And it's a bit more of a clear niche than, you know, my disruptive entrepreneur content. And I was thinking, I piss a lot of people off with my money content because, you know, it's positive <laughs> and it's like oh you can make money and have a really good life and you know money is important and money does make you happy and you know blah 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 and I thought who do I want to piss off I want to piss off um skinned people so that um they will change because if you're skinned and you're not pissed off you're not going to change whereas if I piss you off and off enough to change I've actually done you a big favor I want to piss off communists and socialists because, you know, I'm, I actually really believe in creative capitalism. I think that it's a great, great invention. I think money is one of the money is quite frankly, one of the most amazing tools that humanity has ever created. Um, it's like right up there with the wheel in terms of what it does and, you know, the leverage of it. So, yeah, I want to piss off grumpy people. I want to piss off uptight people. I want to piss off criticizers, moaners, complainers, justifiers, excuse makers. I want to piss them all off. And the, I think if you're really clear on who you want to piss off and you've got the courage to piss them off, I think you've got a really strong brand. And people don't teach that. But I think I, I've spent 15 years figuring that out. But I think that's a masterclass. We could like we could like populate that to the universities. Like, <laughs> this is really great. The university sucked. And here's Rob's new version <laughs> of money. <laughs> that's great. So. I want to go into some other things, but before we kind of move on, I want to talk to you about your relationship with your parents now. How's your relationship with your dad now? And do you have one? And where is it? Like, what do you guys talk about? Um, so my dad's quite distant because he's so medicated up on his bipolar. So you only really get sound bites from him. And that's fine because he's still here and I've got him and I'm really grateful for that. 
so I would say I've got a good relationship with my dad and as close as you can get to someone who's got a lot of walls up because he's had a really freaking hard life. So he's had to put all these walls up. His mum died when he was two. His dad died when he was 18. He was raised by his brothers and sisters who all died before him. And he was the only one left. And, you know, he's just, so he's got a lot of protection from the world built up around him. So it's hard to get in there, but I love my dad for who he is. And I would say I've got a pretty good relationship with him. We had, um, we've had a couple of our, my, my daughter and my, sister's daughter both had their birthdays recently we had sort of family get togethers and birthdays and that was super fun my mum is the most kind patient person you'll ever meet and she works for me and you know I retired my parents they don't need any money I sorted their retirement out because I you know made some good money in my life so I feel valuable and grateful that I may have been able to contribute in that way I contribute to a lot of people's financial well-being so um, you know, my family, my parents, you know, I've employed a lot of people. So that makes me feel really good. I, I wouldn't say I'm like really close because I don't know, I'm on a mission. And honestly, because I'm on such a mission in my life, I probably have got a few people a little bit at arm's length. And I'm okay with that because I am me. And you can't be all things to all people. And I know when I try and juggle everything and meet everyone and do everyone and honour this distant family member and this old friend and stuff like that, I just get spread so thin. And I don't want to be selfish, but I've got a billion people I want to help. Make an unforgettable impression the moment you walk in the room with Executive Presence Elevated. This program is an exclusive and intensive online program designed specifically for you and led by me, Stephanie Malik. After 25 years as a business transformation and crisis specialist, I've learned just how integral executive presence is to gaining you the influence, prestige, and recognition you deserve and desire. Whether you're a mid-level manager looking to advance to the next level or an entrepreneur looking to inspire confidence in your investors, this program will transform your belief in what is possible. Find out more by going to stephaniemalik.com forward slash elevated. Right. And so you have to maintain some white space for you to be able to create, because if you can't, you obviously know what that looks like. And that's not good for you. And that's damn sure not good for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's a a finite amount of time you have every day and you can't spread yourself too thin. Otherwise, you feel like you're useless at a lot of things, which I sometimes feel like because I do too much. Sometimes I have this sort of strange thing where I sometimes have a disconnect with people close to me and I'm sometimes quite awkward in closed social situations. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I just was told this. I was just told the same thing yesterday. They're like, you've known that guy for so long. Why did you act like that? I'm like, I, I just, I don't know. I'm like, I just didn't feel any sort of, I, my mind is somewhere else. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sure it was me. But when you say that, it's really funny. Everybody's going to laugh because that was my feedback yesterday. Well, there you go. But I sometimes just feel a bit lonely and a bit like, okay, I'm on my mission and most people don't get me and fine, I'll um, go in my man cave or go to my office and get on with it. But I would say I'm a good family man, but I'm not a great family man. And I'd say I'd be a better family man if I had a nine to five job. What does your wife say? I think she'd probably prefer a (laughs) co-parent. And what do the kids say? The kids don't say anything. I think that... Except that, for no. Know, That's the they, only yeah, thing they say. No. no. They, they cling off their mummy a lot. But you can't do everything. So you can't co-parent and change the world. And I want to help as many people on the planet start and scale their business and get better financial knowledge. And there is so poor financial knowledge across the world. People have no f- clue. Like People believe that the, the root of all evil is money. And people believe that the love of money is the root of all evil. And people believe that money changes you for the worse. People believe that billionaires don't pay any tax. People haven't got a fucking clue. They have not got a clue. They need to be educated. That being said, I've poured into my son a lot to raise him to be brilliant at golf. And I've definitely provided definitely a lot of entertainment because um, even my wife admitted a few days ago, it's no one quite like you, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm, I'm, I'm memorable and entertaining but I'm probably not steady, consistent and dependable and in the sort of family man at home sense. 
I got a bit of guilt around that, if I'm honest, Def. You know, like, maybe I'm, I don't know, I can't talk about any other parents, but sometimes I feel like I should pour into my kids a bit more. But then sometimes I think, well, they're great kids. I wouldn't want to change them. And my wife's done an amazing job and, you know, I've supported her to support the kids and, you know, we're a team. So I probably don't give myself enough credit as well. But I, I like that, you know, I want to be fitter, stronger, healthier, faster, richer, more impactful. I want a bigger social media following. I want a bigger team. I want a more of a global impact. It's, it's like always more, 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 which is a great drive. But you often look at what you haven't achieved rather than what you have that's exactly right. And it also, too, you made a really good point earlier by saying it's also quite lonely because people are constantly asked, or at least for me, people are always, why? When is enough? When will it be enough? I only wanted to impact and inspire. I wanted to show people that there was a different way to do things. I wanted to educate them differently. Part of me cringing is when people get really bad advice from people that they love and respect. So I wanted to just be have a better platform and, and the podcast was started from obstacles to opportunities or obstacles to blessings, whatever you want to say it, okay? But it had to be significant obstacles. And when I looked at all of this that you've gone through, I want to talk about the money the money situation. I know that you started with a ton of debt. And I know within after going to like a property, I believe it was like a property network sourcing type event. Can you talk to me about that? And then you were debt-free in 10 months. That sounds like more of a movie than actually like real. Yeah, so December the 15th, 2005, I was 50 grand in debt, um, about 70,000 US dollars or so, consumer debt. And my dad had his nervous breakdown and I had about a, a, a week or so of self-loathing and hating myself and really evaluating where I was with my life and why my life was not going anywhere and how I'd got myself in this position. In some respects, it was a great gift because I started to take some ownership until you own where you are in your life, you're never going to change it. And it was, oh, they're lucky. They're greedy. They just rob people. They're drug dealers. You know, they're a twat. Um, I'm unlucky. You know, life isn't fair. Always blaming someone else, never taking full responsibility. And then because of the pain of um, what happened with my dad, it, it forced me to take responsibility. I don't know how it changed. It just did. And then I was like, right, bring it on then. So. It's funny when, when you fully own your sh like when you own where you are in your life, and if you're not where you want to be, you own that you got yourself there and you're going to own to change it. Immediately, the universe offers, offers opportunities to you. It just immediately presents them. It is f***ing uncanny how it does it. It is f***ing uncanny. The amount of times I've gone live, halfway through I've messed up. I've been really pissed off. And then I look at my Zoom H5 and I forgot to press record. And the universe is just making sure I don't waste my time and just make, you know. And then um, we were doing my a, a rebrand exercise for, for me. So, you know, rebranding after six years of being the disruptive entrepreneur is quite a big move, quite a risky move in some ways. And like my ex PR company, Louise, who runs that company, she'd been WhatsApping me all day saying, we need to talk. I've got a big opportunity. I didn't know what it was. And then we did that. We've been thinking for months about this rebrand, months. And we finally decided, you know what, we're going to do money related content. We're not going to change all the assets yet and logos and visuals, but we're just going to run out all this money content and, and move into this new brand. And I phoned my, I went out of the meeting, straight out of the meeting. I phoned the, my ex PR company and she said, oh, we've got an opportunity for you to write a column for um, Martin Lewis is away on holiday. Martin Lewis is one of the biggest columnists for money in the UK. And so the, literally the moment, before the moment I decided to change my brand on money and I get a column in, you know, probably the biggest money column in the UK. So the, the, the universe, you know, I'm not, I want to go too spiritual or quantum, but I do believe as soon as you make a proactive decision to take ownership of your situation, the universe will spontaneously offer you opportunity. There is infinite opportunity everywhere. And as soon as you tune into it, you will spontaneously get presented opportunities. And so for me, people have been telling me to get into property for years. People have been telling me you could do properties no money down for years. And I dismissed it all. And then after my dad's um, breakdown, I was like, right, tell me about this property event. What do I do? Where do I go? Okay, I haven't got any money, but you said you can do no money. Tell me where to go. I'll go. 
And I went to this first ever property networking event. And the last person I met there was is now my business partner today. We've been business partners for 15 years. And you know, he, he's not as he's different to me. He's probably socially not a guy I immediately normally would have resonated with, and, and vice versa, by the way. But we connected on a common interest. And so there was a pull there. Um, and we've made tens, hundreds of millions together. And we've been a very necessary and useful part of each other's life. So that's how I got into property. And by the way, one of my property mentors who's um, you know, helped me buy hundreds of properties without my own money, he, I met him at that event as well. So two for the price of one at a networking event in Peterborough. You did all right out of that. So that's, that's so interesting. Okay, so I've never been to something like that. So tell me what that is. So like, is it like a like convention or like, is it a, no, like, like almost, no. like, tell me what it is. <laughs> You're like, people, it is not that. <laughs> 15 people in a room that should have 50 people with a crappy little projector, someone doing a presentation with a click and then going into the bar afterwards and having a, a drink and some food. That's what it was in Peterborough. I mean, Peterborough is not the Mecca for, it's not Silicon Valley of the UK, put it that way. So when you walked in, what were you thinking? So you got, you're there, your dad's already had all this and then you go in. Yeah, I didn't want to be there. I rode there on my bike because I'd sold my car because I was skint. And I didn't want to be there because I was out of, uh, like, uh, um, fish out of water, as they say. You know, like, arty, rebellious, hate, you know, uh, rage against the machines, the kind of music I listen to, you know, and very anti-capitalism, hated rich people, hated yuppies. Ugh. I was just, everything was about this was not me. But I was there because I was in pain and I was looking for a solution. And, you know, I was thinking about this. I just went on a walk and did two lives, Steph, before our, um, you know, our chat today. And I was thinking, what's a great gift I could give to someone, but probably not something that they want to hear? Because normally the greatest gifts are disguised in things you don't want to hear. Like if someone was in a relationship and they got a bit comfortable and they got a bit overweight and they, they'd sort of let go of their dreams and they just lived a normal life, and then their partner cheated on them and dumped them. My guess is they'd be straight down the gym. They'd be sorting their shit out. They'd be sorting their money out. They'd be like, right, you know, revenge. I'm going to show you. I'm going to get a six pack mother. You know, and I'm going to show you. And pain is really fucking motivating. And this is, this links back to complacency being the enemy. So um, if you want to tune into that diva, fiery, go getter, not twat, but you know, you can be a diva and fiery and a go-getter without being rude and obnoxious. You can just be, have fire in you. Some pain is useful. And you've got to tap into the pain, I think, if you want to, you know, game yourself to motivate yourself. And I was in pain from what happened with my dad. And that's why I was so freaking... I stayed till the end. I spoke to people I didn't want to speak to. I sat in a room I didn't want to speak to, in. I went to an event I didn't want to go. I followed up. I followed everyone up. I found every single business card afterwards. And Mark was the, you know, the last person I met. So because I was in pain. So that's amazing. And, and I also think you, your, your whole inspiration, which we're going to talk about next, is your foundation. But I want to focus on this for a second, okay? Because you did stay. Because you stayed and because you did call every single person and because you did follow up. But Rob, you paid off all of your debt in 10 months. Walk me through it. Like, what's your mindset? Is you're like, hey, screw everybody else. This is what I'm doing. Like, what are you thinking as you're paying this off? Because, you know, I mean, I too have had, I, I not not the same, but very, very similar, where you, you know, like you said, people don't understand compounded interest. People don't understand how, how debt accumulates. People don't understand credit cards. People don't understand interest-free to move it to another one, to another one, to another one. There's a lot of financial things that people don't understand, okay? When you're going through this, you have no guidance. It's just you and you're in pain. You go into this crap journey of, of, of real estate and then you pay off all of your debt in 10 months. What keeps you going? What's your motivating factor? How did you get there? So I met Mark, my business partner now at this property networking event. And um, I followed up with him and he said, come to my office. And I went to his office and it, him he worked for a guy, just two or three of them. And they had a property sourcing company. And uh, Mark gave me three books to read, Think and Grow Rich, Richest Running Man, Man in Babylon. And it might have been Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or Who Moved My Cheese, one of those. And I read them all. I'd, now, I'd not read a book since Fantastic Mr. Fox when I was 15. And I'm 27 years old. And I read them all in a week because I, I was just in pain. I mean, when I read a book, I'm like, uh, once upon a time. It takes me ages to read. And I read them all. 
And I went back in a few days and I said, yeah, read them all. And he tested me. He's like, yeah, yeah. And he, he asked me some questions. And I just, yep, 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 yep. And he was very impressed. And he, and he never told me for years, but he said no one had ever done that. So um, he basically said to the boss, he said, look, we should hire this guy. He's got something about him. Let's hire him. And I had no CV. I'd never bought property and I didn't know shit about property. But they hired me. I was prepared to work evenings. No, I was prepared to work in the day. No money, but commission and to learn. And then I'd do my art evenings and weekends. And they paid me minimum wage, six pounds an hour, but 500 quid commission for every deal I sold. And I hated selling. I hated selling. I knew nothing about selling, but I listened to all the sales audio books and Mark helped me and Mark gave me some tips and coached me up. And yeah, I got myself out of debt by um, selling property deals for this company. And I learned to public speak about halfway through that company, started selling property deals one to many by speaking on stages instead of just doing it one to one. Wiped off my debt at the end of that year. And my business partner, I bought 20 properties in that year as well with his money. Um, and You're then, like with his money. <laughs> with his money. Yeah. And, and You're so like, that that's how good I am. It was his <laughs> money. <laughs> well, you know, pain and mission, pain yeah. and mission. They're very powerful. And so what would I have been then? 27, 28. And I became a millionaire just before age 31. So that is unbelievable. Is, is real estate, is that your passion? Like, so looking no. back on it, was it a means to an end or yeah. was it just, okay, got it. I mean, I enjoyed it for many years. And thought for sure. It thought it would be my thing, but it was part of a greater thing. So I, I love to, um, I love business and entrepreneurship in all the forms that it comes. And I don't really like the technical aspects of real estate. Mark does. Mark loves it. I like business and entrepreneurship. So along the way of you doing this and you just literally buying properties and you making money and everything else, were there a ton of, I mean, I know you have a lot of naysayers now. We talked about that. I know you probably weren't as comfortable in your own skin as you are right now, but all the way were people going, Rob, what are you doing? Like, what's going on with you? And were you able to kind of rise above it? Or were you kind of sitting down and explaining to everybody what you were doing? I think both at times. Sometimes I've probably felt the need to defend what I do. It's a freaking waste of time, though. Yeah, well, why do I need to tell people who don't, aren't really interested in what I do and don't really have good motives? I'd have to sit down and explain myself. I've got too busy with my mission. Stay busy on the important things and then you won't get busy on the unimportant things. So at times I've definitely justified things, but not anymore. Like, Are you happy? Mm, <laughs> I think that is a very complicated question. Yes. I think we might be related. Maybe you might be my brother from another mother. <laughs> I think it could possibly be. <laughs> Am I happy? I don't think that the purpose of life is happiness. I don't think people want to hear this. I think there's a lot of people saying, I just want my kids to be happy. Uh, I just want to be happy. It's a fantasy. I'm sorry to put people's dreams out. I'm actually a pretty positive person, but happiness is not the purpose of life. Happiness is the chemical feeling you get in your body as a reward, a reward for overcoming a challenge or a, a reward for a connection with a human being. It's a response to the environment that you're in. It's a feeling of safety. That's what happiness is. And it is transient. And it's it very comes transient. and it goes and it comes and it goes. Hence and why the top five drugs that are actually prescribed in all over the world are some sort of mood stabilizer, antidepressant, or, you know, some sort of psych drug because of exactly what you just said. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, top five. Wow. I didn't know that. I think that, the, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know the meaning of life. Who the f*** am I to say that? But I do believe that evolution is about survival of the fittest and the most adaptable to change. Therefore, we need to, evolution to evolve is to grow, is to become, you know, stronger and more resistant to the environment that threatens our very species. So that is challenge, growth. And I think that's one of the reasons why we get really good reward feelings when we overcome challenges, because from a species survival point of view, we need to be incentivized to do hard because if we weren't, we wouldn't do hard shit. 
and we'd evolve out within a generation. So if the purpose of life was happiness, we'd find the destination of happiness, we'd all, you know, sing Kumbaya and hold hands and relax and not not build buildings and not, you know, do stressful things and not stay up all night trying to figure, you know, really difficult equations and stuff like that and not take rejection after rejection and failure after failure and within a generation we'd be wiped out. So this happiness subject for me is... I'm probably not really going to address it too much because now my brand is about money. So I'll have to link it to money. But I think there's a f- the problem with happiness is one of my mentors, John Demartini, said he gave up chasing happiness a long time ago because it made him too damn depressed. Uh, you know, what he meant by that is it's a paradox that the, the more of a delusion you have around a destination of happiness, the less happy will you will be because life will show the, you the reality, which is the opposite of the fantasy. Like I'll give you an example, Steph. Oh, I just want to meet the perfect partner who makes me happy. I mean, you have no fucking idea what a relationship is if you're looking for that. Now, I know why we're looking for that. Because happiness is addictive. The chemicals are addictive. They're meant to be addictive. But happiness is an addiction. Gratitude and love are transcendent emotions that aren't addictions. And the true art of gratitude is being grateful for all things, not just good things, the challenges as well as the, you know. So when when you said, and, and I don't, you know, you said flippantly, maybe expecting a yes or no answer, am I happy? I'm on mission doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that gives me a sense of equal fulfillment, but but an empty vessel that needs to be filled, hence fulfillment. You know, being around people that fill you up and having a meaningful mission that you're prepared to endure great challenges and difficulties to overcome. I think that's more going towards the purpose of life and what's going to give you long-term fulfillment over transient addictive happiness. So just so you know, you answered the question exactly how I thought you would answer the question. <laughs> I was hoping for not just a yes or a no, because I just think that happiness is is um, such a situational moment in time and so many different things can happen to affect happiness or sadness or any of the other things. Yeah, and, and it's like 90,000 different emotions, isn't it? You've got elation, addiction, arousal, gratitude, love, appreciation, pride, respect. These are all different forms of happiness. Right. And then there's a metrics within them about how happy you are. So are you happy? I mean, are you a two? Are you an eight? Like you said, is what is the illusion of what the happiness? I do everything based on metrics, which is hence why when people ask me if I'm happy, I answer very similar to you. I just think that there has to be more Purpose and meaning and gratitude makes me happy or what I view happy would be, if that makes sense. Let's talk about the foundation and what you're doing with the foundation, which is pretty darn awesome. Thank you. So my foundation, the Rob Moore Foundation, is to help young and underprivileged people start meaningful businesses that change the world. And so we've donated to various start and scale up entrepreneurs over the years to help meaningful businesses that might help with climate or they might have a really good origin story or really real difficulty or had trauma in their life. And we help them, you know, we fund them to start and scale their businesses and looking to get better financial knowledge and education and resources, you know, across the world, especially young and um, developing an underprivileged world and people. By the way, there's so many underprivileged people in our own country, not just across the world. And then occasionally I'll just dip into the foundation and donate to other foundations and other charities and other things that people are doing just, you know, to make a little bit of a difference in other places as well. How young? I mean, under 30, I think is probably what we've put on the website. Okay. That's awesome. Young and underprivileged. It's quite generic, isn't it? It's very generic. Specific with your niche. So that's specific and generic. Why I like so when you when you go in and you fund them, how involved are you, not your team? Because I, I'm sorry. At the moment, just giving them the money. Okay, just the money. Okay. Yeah. So so that's really important because a lot of times with me, I feel guilt. So like I'm like I'm going to give them the money, but I don't know if they actually have the basis. They're so so smart, but uh, you know how do you flush it out? How do you vet it? Everything else. So, I mean, look, I've I've churned out so much content over the last 15 years and a lot of that can help people start and scale their business 700 podcast episodes well in fact 700 on the disruptive entrepreneur there's also my money podcast with 200 episodes so that's 900 all my facebook lives all my content 
as I grow the foundation and spend more time in it, I want it to be an educational resource, not just a financial resource, for sure. But I'm kind of doing that anyway. And now that my brand's all more geared towards money, if you read my money book and you listen to my money podcast and you just watch all my content on all my social media, money, 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 you know, that resource, you know, will help people make a lot more money. And I want people to have a better relationship with money. You know, people say our oh, money is important. It fucking is. People say our oh, money doesn't make you happy. It fucking does. And I just want to change the taboo and the, you know, the broke narrative around money. Um, our money doesn't make you happy. Well, not in and of itself, but with more money, you know, you can do things that make you happy. And our oh, billionaires don't pay any taxes. They do. They pay billions. And if you're so pissed off about that, go and make a load of your own money and pay a load of tax yourself. So, yeah, I, I just it's a, probably one of the three to five most important areas. If you think about your life, your relationships are really important. Your family is really important. Your career is really important. Your health and wellness and your emotional and mental well-being are money's in that top five because money oh, is the for universe. certain money how the do you one support all of those me. things how do you support all of those things that are so important to you if if you don't have the means or the resources to be able to handle those type of things yeah so yeah, yeah. i couldn't agree with I mean, you more if you're if you're um one of your family members has got cancer and they need a two hundred thousand pound treatment would it be good to be broke See, you know, Rob, that's exactly how I think about it. That's that. So people go, Steph, when's it enough? And I go, well, let me tell you what I think about. I think about in the middle of a pandemic, if somebody needed an organ transplant, would I be able to access a private jet to get them what they needed? So it's exactly the same thing. It's it's who do you have access to? Who have you built up enough? Who have you poured into enough? Who have you dumped so much value into without asking for so many things back? But that's when it's enough, when you can do that and it doesn't stress out or pressure anybody else in your life or any of your other resources, when you can give like that. I don't want a Bugatti. I don't want a McLaren. I don't want, I don't care about those things. For me, those things are not important. Being able to be able to care and love and impact and inspire every person around me that I can actually touch, that's what drives me. That's what drives me. So it's amazing. I have one last question. And I know that we're over time and I'm just so thankful for you being so gracious with your time. And I would love to have you back, Rob. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. What is the biggest business mistake that early funders make? Do you mean the funder or the entrepreneur founder? The entrepreneur that has been funded. I would say it's a combination of marketing and people. So not getting the right people, which could mean not hiring early enough. It could mean hiring the wrong people and not building, you know, a good solid team or not managing that team well enough. And I've made all those mistakes, by the way. And I've also got some really good team members. And then the second thing would be getting marketing wrong or not spending enough on marketing to grow your marketing quick enough. Like, if I was an early founder and I'd raised quite a lot of money to grow the business, I'd want to put a lot of that into marketing to grow the, you know, the, the followership, the customer base, the database. And I know in some parts of our journey, we were a bit safe and reserved on marketing spend. We were so hit up on conversion and staying lean that we missed out on a lot of growth. We didn't spend enough on marketing. No, we were good at marketing, but we didn't spend enough to more aggressively grow. So because you said specifically about um, founders that have been funded, i.e. they've been given money to invest, they're the two main areas that you're going to invest in probably. I mean, you might have some IP or you might have an invention that you've got to you know, invest money into, but that's not that common a business model. So it's usually acquiring clients and then, you know, operational investments like people, systems, software. So I'd say they're the main two, but I mean, there's a million things that you can do wrong and right as an entrepreneur. Thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate that. If people want to hear more or they want to see more of your content, where can they find you? Right. Because my brand is all now about money. <laughs> I have a podcast called Money. I have a book called Money. And uh, you can find me on all social media, any social media, except OnlyFans. I'm still trying to work out why. Yeah. <laughs> I, you have my vote. <laughs> oh, yes, you 
got a lifetime member. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Steph. This has been so much fun. Thank, Thank you, you so awesome. much. Thank you for I really, me. really appreciate it. And I'm sorry for, um, for being a little late and would love to have you back real soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my website at stephaniemalik.com.